the best piece of advice I got when I worked in a pub kitchen before I got into marketing, which was cook what you want to eat, not what you want to cook. And it's something that in our little ivory towers in marketing departments, we always forget, right? Hi, before we get to this week's podcast, I'd like to tell you that Automated Creative are releasing a book called How to Make It in Marketing, Volume 1. It is a collection of the best marketing career advice we've had from over 200 episodes of the Shiny New Object podcast. You'll hear from some of the biggest, brightest and best names in the industry showing you telling you how to grow your career you can reserve yourself a copy at this url so get your pens out it's bitly so bit.ly forward slash make it in marketing so that's bitly bit.ly forward slash make it in marketing but the make it in marketing bit is in capital letters so bitly forward slash lowercase and the rest is make it in marketing uppercase i think you should get your heads around that and enjoy it's a great read hello and welcome to the shiny new object podcast my name is tom ollerton i'm the founder of automated creative and this is a weekly podcast where i get to speak to really nice clever smart people from the industry and try and understand what is their vision for the future. This week's no different. I'm on a call with JJ Phone, who is head of digital Oppo Europe. JJ, for anyone who doesn't know who you are and what you do, could you give the audience a bit of a background? Hey, yeah, no problem. And uh, thanks for having me, mate. Um, so for those who don't know, which is probably everybody, um, I my career weirdly started off similar to yours, Tom, to be honest. Um, I started off in social agencies, um, started out as a pure social creative and then slowly just broadened and broadened, moved to a different agency, working on a slightly more strategic role before eventually moving client side, where I spent a few years at Tesco, heading up their um, content campaigns across all of the content channels with looking at the, the mag, the website, as well as all of the social. Um, and now I've recently taken on the role at Oppo. Um, adding up their um, digital plans across Europe, working with all of the different country teams and the HQ team in China. So how did you get from doing Tesco print ads to head of digital for a phone brand? <laughs> that, is a, that is a great question. Um, so actually, in, interestingly, the working somewhere like Tesco is a very weirdly quite a similar culture to working in a big agency, where because it's such a massive brand and the digital and social teams are so big, that you end up working on a whole range of stuff and meeting a load of different people. Um, and I was there, I was very lucky at the time I was at Tesco when I joined just as the, the turnaround really kicked off and they brought in a senior, a very, very good senior team from Unilever that came and ran the comms for the business. And I managed to kind of ride that wave with them and we got some really cool workout that I was really proud of um, over a few years. And then ended up moving to three, to head up the social team at three for a year and a half. Um, which actually was much more, the skill was much more transferable than I thought it would be. So then when Oppo came knocking again, it was three was sort of the stepping stone through to working for Oppo. So it all sounds a bit too easy. So I'm assuming that there must have been some disaster at some point, some red-faced, face-palmy, horrible moment that you just thought the world was going to swallow you up. But in retrospect, you were glad it happened. So could you tell us a bit about that moment? Yeah, sure. So um, 
when you asked when we last spoke and you asked me this question, there's quite a few different moments I could have chosen, as anyone that's worked in social and the internet is probably aware of. Um, but for me, the the biggest one really, if I'm being really honest, was when I my first job in the industry. Um, and I actually got made redundant from the first agency I worked at, um, which is pretty massive. And it was at the time, it was my dream job. So I started as a junior creative at Kamarama, which back in the day was the place to be. And when you're down the pub with your mates, it was the coolest logo and name to drop in the industry. So I was so chuffed with myself. But because of it, I was so, um, and I'm sure you probably see this with a lot of the junior members in your team. So I'd be interested to get your opinion as well. But I was so focused on being perfect and living up to the the agency that as most junior people do, I kept making little mistakes, especially when I was on social putting content out for clients. And I got to the point where I was making so many of these little mistakes that rather than asking for help, I almost stuck my head in the sand, went full hustle culture and just pumped out as much work as physically possible. And the harder I worked, obviously the busier I got, the more plates I was spinning, the more mistakes I made. So that when the social part of the agency merged into the big group and they restructured, I'd almost kind of done myself out of a job when really if I'd taken a step back and asked for help from the start and found some mentors that could help me manage my career, I think it would have been a different conversation. But I guess for me anyway, it's a bit of a blessing in disguise because one, it I had to learn the hard way, which uh, sometimes sticks a lot better than the easy way, right? But also now... I think I'm probably slightly easier. I find it easier to spot it in junior members in my teams. So when I've got junior members that are slipping up or getting caught up with trying to prove how much they can do or how perfect they can be, I try to sit down and work with them to help them kind of step back and take a breather. I don't, I don't know if you've, yeah, I'm sure you must notice the same thing with some of the junior people coming through in your teams, right? Yeah, of course. But I'm curious to know how you spot that. What are the kind of telltale signs and, and what, tools and techniques do you use to to help get those guys back on track to be honest i think it was all the stuff i was doing which is when you see people that are because a lot of the people that are getting in in the first place are really bright really sharp and wouldn't normally make those sort of mistakes so a lot of it tends to be when you see people kind of like over promising and under delivering at a junior level which is really difficult because you want obviously people very keen that want to get stuck in and do loads of stuff um so I think that's a, I think it's over-promising and delivering is a big one. Um, and I think the other one is um, when you catch people sticking their head in the sand and saying everything's fine and not asking for help when they probably should. So it's actually when you're like encouraging teams during one-to-ones and meetings with more junior members to actually finding, carving the time out of your own diary to sit down and stop and ask them how they're actually doing and getting them to confirm they know what they should be working on and giving the time to work with them on it, which at, at the start is more time consuming. But I think the more I, the more time I've invested in teams, the more they've been able to kind of give themselves a break and the success has followed. Well, JJ, you sound like a very wise man. It's really great to hear that you know, <laughs> you've got all these experiences and, and taken such a kind of humble and practical approach to management. That's, that's great to hear. Let's move on a little bit into straight up marketing advice. I always ask, what is your top marketing tip? What is that golden nugget advice that you pass on to your your highly performing teams that you've coached so beautifully? <laughs> I like the way you're making me. You're, you're very complimentary. I like <laughs> it, mate. Thank you. You can say that more often. Um, no, for me, it was, funnily enough, the best piece of marketing advice was also the best piece of advice I got 
when I worked in a pub kitchen before I got into marketing, which was cook what you want to eat, not what you want to cook. Um, and it's something that in our little ivory towers in marketing departments, we always forget, right? And it was a big one at Tesco, which Tesco were very, very good at because they've got so much like data from obviously Clubcard, but also their own channels to think about what what types of content people actually want to consume and how you actually engage with real people, not marketing people that are trying to analyze real people. Um, so the, the good example at Tesco, which I, I still think is quite funny to this day, was when we were trying to plan food content across social and the magazine and the web, which is obviously like big budget food content. Um, every month, the agency would pitch us different, new, innovative, like trendy food trends that we could jump on. But actually, in reality, every month, the top three performing pages on the website was always lasagna, spag bowl, chili con carne. So as soon as we started thinking lasagna, spag bowl, chili con carne, but actually, how do you find find ways of making it more interesting? All of a sudden, all of the results across all of the channels skyrocketed. So I always try and have that in the back of my head. Cook what you want to eat, not what you want to cook. Yes. <laughs> Brilliant. It needs to go up on the wall somewhere. That's one of my yeah. favourite quotes on this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> This episode of the Shiny New Object podcast is brought to you in partnership with Madfest. Whether it's live in London or streamed online to the global marketing community, you can always expect a distinctive and daring blend of fast-paced content, startup innovation pitches, and unconventional entertainment from Madfest events. You'll find me causing trouble on stage, recording live versions of this podcast, and sharing a beer with the nicest and most influential people in marketing. Check it out at www.madfestlondon.com. So now we are going to get mega serious and we're going to talk about your shiny new object, which is, in your words, Moneyball Marketing. So <laughs> what on earth is that? <laughs> so... um I think it's probably not a shiny new object. It's kind of the opposite, I guess, which is um, not new, but pretty relevant, I'd say, is as an industry at the moment, not just in the UK, but I'd say across Europe and globally, we're heading into a year when budgets are getting cut and cut and cut, which is a reality for all of us. But at the same time, we know that the more the budget gets cut, the longer, like the bigger long-term impact we have. So I was um, I was actually talking to... Um, Ryan, who's our like does all the media planning for the UK for Oppo. Um, and he was obviously they're now looking at budgets for the next year, right? And we're having the same conversation, which is we know that I think it was a Wonderman Thompson piece of research from a couple of years ago where they looked at if you cut budget over one year, it has a up to a five-year impact on like business performance. So actually, on one hand, we've got all of this budget like globally, we're really looking at marketing budgets, but at the same time, we also know that everyone else is doing the same. So we still need to find a way of getting the same reach and the same cut through, but with less money, um, which was exactly the same thing that Brad Pitt had in the movie Moneyball, right? Where you're still trying to win a world um, a world series, but with a lot less money than a lot of his competitors. Um, so he was trying to look at the undervalued players. Um, it's on Netflix at the moment, by the way. So I watched it last weekend, which is why this is top of mind. But he was trying to find the players that other teams were overlooking for whatever reason, whether they threw funny or um, were too old, too young, whatever. So we're trying to take the same approach to our planning 
which is if where can we find smart ways of reaching and connecting with our target audience in in places that may not be shiny and new that maybe some of our competitors aren't focusing on in the same way that we could um so actually like a good example is when we're looking at our digital planning obviously we know that there's tried and tested channels and we obviously look at data first but a layer on top of that is when everyone else is focusing on the shiny new stuff actually are there other channels that people are undervaluing that we can still get really good results from and if we can take that approach i'm hoping that we can still get to where we need to over the next few years so without wanting to get your spreadsheet out how how do you do that right so i don't know evan's moving into tiktok for argument's sake are you going right well let's look at print let's look at email let's look at fax marketing i don't know like how are you comparing apples with apples like where are you looking for this inspiration and how are you making sure that just because everyone else isn't doing it, it it's gonna help you hire that player that no one else wants to buy that's a great question isn't it and i, I don't i don't know if there is a clean answer for it but i think the i think it always comes down to like getting the right people in the room um in the first place because i think there's a lot of i think we're all very, very guilty of following a blueprint in the way we think in marketing because it's always tried and tested especially in times like this when it's scarier when the demands are higher so we're trying to think a lot about how we find the right agencies to work with but also how we recruit the right people internally so that there's people asking those questions in the first place so that a good example would be um we are a champions league sponsor um and um I mean, it's one hell of an opportunity for us it's great um but obviously there is a blueprint for how to activate a sports sponsorship in digital and in your marketing channels that will give you a blueprinted answer, which most people that have worked on that before, and you need that experience, obviously, to deliver effectively. But on top of having those experienced people in the room that know how to execute that flawlessly, also trying to find different ways of thinking and bringing those people into the room. So, for example, one of the juniors that we've just brought into our team is a, um, a specialist in sports journalism, not sports marketing. So as well as our core plan that we know will be effective, uh, reaching in the channels that we know will work based on that blueprint, we've also got members of the team thinking, actually, if I was a if I was a football journalist trying to get coverage and cut through outside of those traditional channels, how else could I approach this problem? And trying to find a balance between the two, hopefully, will be our sweet spot. <laughs> but again, ask me, ask me in 18 months how effective it's been. So in the film, it's been a while since I watched it, but the the moment that really landed for me was the I can't even remember the name of the team, but they were buying big expensive players, whereas the data guy was saying, "Look, it's not about home runs; it's about bases." Right? Um, loose understanding of baseball that if you get from base to base to base to base, you eventually score a point. Right? I think three for home run. Sorry to any North American listeners. I'm, I'm making a bad job of this but that was a real moment for me that he was saying no it's not about home runs they're overvalued three points are overvalued actually this guy over here who's a bit old always makes first base you know or he just keeps on getting around and getting around so his value to the team is almost as good as someone else's right so there was a there was a kind of uh hidden figure there was a metric that mattered that, that no one else was looking at so what is your version of that 
in, in a marketing sense. Yeah, I, that, I think you summed it up better than I have, to be honest, mate. I think it's exactly that, which is um, we have a very traditional structured KPI structure for most big campaigns. And for sports marketing, for example, we're always looking at reach and frequency of messaging. Um, and it's not to say they're not important KPIs in the same way that home runs aren't important in baseball. Again, I'm probably as knowledgeable as you, so sorry to anybody I'm offending. Um, but for us, when we're looking at building long-term brand, in especially for a, a brand like the one I'm working for at the moment, when our awareness is lower than some of the the being more traditional Western brands, actually how we consistently and effectively build that brand over a long period of time for us is way more valuable than um, short-term saying how many views or likes something's got, which would then be an indicator of the brand. Um, so for us, it's looking at um, how we think differently about that KPI framework and starting really from the real business challenge as opposed to the marketing challenge which I think a lot of us are quite guilty of slipping into because it's easier to understand. Someone's listening to this and they're like, right, I'm going to get all across Moneyball Marketing. Where do you, where do you start? So to be honest, I think it's just ask, asking the same questions of our marketing plans as they do in the film about their scouting, right? Which is what's the actual problem we're trying to solve? What are we actually trying to deliver for this business? Um, if we like take take a step back from marketing into the wider business, what is what is the single metric that we're trying to shift first and foremost which for most big brands will be consistent like growth right and then the question is based on our model how best can we measure how we're growing and how we're doing that and which metrics should we be looking at and which metrics are people other people not looking at that we should be looking at more so i think a big part of that is again as i've said getting the right people in the room working with the right agencies but also getting close to the channels themselves. So we also have this, and I appreciate this is coming from some of the works in digital with big enough budgets that we get access to these people, but spending a lot of time in the room with TikTok and Twitter and the guys at Meta and the guys at Google and challenging them on the way they measure effectively and what different metrics they can offer to us to help us understand how we're doing that over a longer period of time. We're going to have to wrap up shortly, but it does remind me of the podcast I heard. I think it was Innocent. I think it was on... Um, uh, the Attention Seekers podcast from Performance Marketing World. Yeah. It's a very good podcast. And they was, I think the guy was saying that their metric was, uh, what's it? Proposals. They went, someone said, innocent, I want to marry you. It probably wasn't innocent. It might have been, it doesn't matter. But like, that was their like unofficial metric, which was like, yeah, like if people declared their love to the point of, to the point of marriage, um, they sort of deemed that as, as quite important. And another, another alternative one I heard actually, and this is from a, from a, uh, someone at an agency said that the way that they measure the success of their account relationships is how many clients they're on WhatsApp contact with. Yeah, that's this, interesting. You know, it's quite nice, isn't it? This is the whole whole softer level of data that is that moves you beyond the KPI. But I could talk about this all day, as I'm sure you could. And I'm frustrated that we have to leave it there, but we do. So JJ, someone wanted to get in touch with you about Moneyball Marketing or you know, working in a pub or getting fired from an agency. Where is the best place to do that? And how would you like them to reach out to you? Uh, probably on LinkedIn, to be honest. But I mean, because I've worked in social for so many years, pretty much any of the socials I'll be on. And what makes a good message? What's going to make you reply to them? Same same thing as the ones that I saw success with when I first started, which was someone that was genuinely interested and just wants to, wants, wants to learn and want support. Because I think a lot of people genuinely want to help 
people getting into the industry and I'm not I'm very much one of those people so yeah anything I can do to help I'm into what a lovely place to leave it JJ thanks so much for your time pleasure thank you very much mate hi just before you go I'd really appreciate it if you could take the time to write a review of the shiny new object podcast on Apple Podcasts or iTunes whatever it's called these days or whichever podcast provider you use we're an indie podcast so it would go a long way for us if you could just share the word and give us a bit of a support on those channels that would just be fantastic if you haven't got time that's also cool and yeah if you could tell your colleagues about the podcast and also if possible don't forget to subscribe and I'd love to hear your feedback uh, if you'd like to speak on the podcast or be a guest or you think I'm asking the wrong questions anything I'd be super interested to hear what you think so please email me at tom at automatedcreative.net that's t-o-m at uh, I'm not going to bother spelling it anyway you'll work it out thanks so much